Hello and welcome to the All Terrain podcast, a podcast series from the Youth and Children's Ministry Unit of the Salvation Army in the UK and Republic of Ireland. I'm Matt White and in each episode I invite a guest to take a hypothetical hike as we find out about their real life journey to this point as they make four choices for the walk and answer four questions along the way. In this episode I'm joined by Lyndall Bywater. Lyndall is a freelance writer and speaker on prayer and if like me you have been in and around the Salvation Army over the past few decades you will know that Lyndall has been right at the forefront of pioneering and championing prayer in some incredible way. So it's a huge privilege to welcome her onto the Altering podcast. Hello Lyndall. Hello, thanks for having me. I'm excited about this. Did I get your intro right? It's always the first question I ask because I yeah. don't send it to anyone. I don't get it signed <laughs> off. I just write it, say it and then go, was that all right? I entirely recognised myself from Good. that description. Yes, it was very, well, very complimentary, may I say. But yeah, that's me. Um, I've definitely been doing all of those things that you said I've been doing. Yeah, absolutely you have. <laughs> well, I think, like I say, you know, people people who have been around, so I would say all the way back to the Roots era when 24-7 was kind of birthing both outside and within the Salvation Army, you were yeah. right at the heart of all of that. Yeah, and then I guess I guess from that, then everything that, that has kind of come, what has that journey been like for you from where you sit? Do you know, it, it's been amazing. It's felt like going a little bit, going round in circles in some ways. Mm. I've got a friend who said once, if you feel like you're going round in circles, it's a bit like a spiral staircase. You're not mm. actually going round in circles. You're going somewhere, but you often look out of the same window over the same view, but from slightly higher up. And I always say that's what's been, what it's been like. It's nearly 20 years yeah. since we launched the year of 24-7 prayer in the Salvation Army, yeah. which alone makes me just feel ancient. But actually, the point is, we've gone round a lot of circles since then. Yeah. And it's amazing now to be working with uh, grown-ups, for want of a better yeah. word, officers, people who are in, in ministry as adults now, who were young people in 2001 when we started yeah. the year of prayer and yeah. who, who have literally never known a Salvation Army that doesn't pray. Yes. No memory of that church. That goes wider than just us in the Salvation Army, yes. by the way. There was, there's been a huge growth of prayer in the church across the last 20, 30 years. Often I wait till the end to figure out what, you know, my kind of favourite bits of the podcast are. But I think uh, the spiral staircase analogy, I think um, I think we could be done. That's it. Thank you for listening, everyone. That was. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. I love that, though, because I think that's <laughs> so true, right? That sense yeah. of... Yeah. Because, again, it, that, that thing, isn't it, of people feeling like life can feel like a carousel but actually it is if it, if you change that metaphor if you go actually no 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 you're moving up there's a movement there's a shift there's a change but yeah these things do come around and come around and I think that's really that's really powerful and actually it's important that they do if you think about somebody who who lives with a kind of a a, a bit of an amnesia a forgetfulness they go in a straight line and they never ever see the same place ever again yes. they just move from one thing to the next actually they're not necessarily healthy people yeah. so if you do feel like you're revisiting the same stuff in your life over and over again that doesn't make you a failure it actually makes you a more whole person mm. so long as you just remember i'm not back in the same place i'm just looking out of the window of the next floor up yeah. over the same view that i was looking at maybe a couple of years ago yeah yeah no i think that's absolutely beautiful absolutely beautiful and um, you've written a couple of books as well uh -huh. in the making of faith in the making am i right exactly so See? yes told you that's right I've at least seen the covers. I've Googled the covers at least. I've done something. Uh, no, but I have. I have genuinely read them both. And, and, and yeah. I think I wrote to you at the time, uh, particularly with prayer in the making, the book for me unlocked something really helpful in prayer. How was it for you to write those books? I think it was a little bit of a, a moment to, to, to extend the analogy again. It was a little bit of a spiral staircase moment. In that, mm. To be honest, I wrote them both quite quickly. I wrote them because a publisher asked me to write them. Yeah. Um, so that was a, and that's always a lovely thing as a writer when someone says to you, can you write his books? I was very grateful for that. 
But what it meant really was that they were books which were summing up things that I had lived up to that point. So I, yeah. so interestingly, the prayer one, um, I probably wrote Prayer in the Making in about, if you added all the time together, it was probably about seven days. Wow. Which is an astonishing thing in yeah. terms of just churning the work. I mean, I didn't sit there for seven days yeah. and write it, but it, that's probably about how long it took me. And it's simply, Matt, because it's all in my head. Yes. It's, I simply drew on 20 years. I've been teaching prayer stuff since the mid-90s, so 20, 25 years. And I just basically had the opportunity to put it in a book. And therefore, I love it because of mm. what it gave me the opportunity to do. Mm. Um, but it's it's not it wasn't the kind of exploring of new things. I'd love to do that in a book. But I, but I certainly felt like I got the opportunity to yeah. sum it up and, and faith in the making very similar. Yes. Lots of things from my own life that just have been absolutely helpful to me over yeah. the years. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, before we get started, I need you to make two of your choices. So where are we walking? Well, I'm not too fussed about destination and I'm not even too fussed about landscape, Matt, but it does have to be flat. Okay. I'm just saying. Do you know what? One of my earliest memories as a kid is that um, I always used to, we used to go for walks from my nursery school. And before we'd even walked about 10 yards outside the gate, I was like, I'm tired. I want to stop. <laughs> and actually, I have to say, I do love walking now, but yep. I have no interest in walking up hills. Okay. Largely, I think, because every everyone goes go on go on go on it'll be great it'll be great there'll be a great view at the oh and since i'm blind i can't see the great view so i don't really see any point climbing up the mountains <laughs> so i love that. that you threw that in there because of course anyone who knows you or knows anything about you yeah. will of course know that you're blind i i ought to explain that that <laughs> might make me just sound utterly like cavalier and heartless and not interested in the beauty of nature otherwise so the second choice you have to make before we get going, Lyndall, is your dream company. Who's coming with us? One living, one dead, one fictional. Who's on the walk? Okay, this is going to be quite a random mix, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it already. Mm. Living, Barack Obama. Wonderful. I'd really like to talk to somebody who has been in power. And I yeah. think being president of the United States very definitely fits the bill of yeah. being in power. Yeah. And who, for me, has served in that role uh, with integrity and uh, to the values that I think are, are important to me. And I'd love to talk to him about what that's been like. And also, I'm really big into the West Wing, so I'd mm. like to know. I'd like to ask him how much of it is true. Okay, so that's your living. The next one is dead. Brennan Manning. Oh, now, yeah. Brennan Manning is, uh, is a writer and a theologian and a thinker who died not very long ago, so yeah. he's only just tipped into the category. But he is somebody who, when I read his stuff, when I hear him speak, he talks about the God that I want to know. Yeah. And he, the way he describes God, the way he talks about God, I'm just like, it's like somebody who's in a swimming pool up to their neck and yeah. you're at the shallow end. And I'm yeah. just kind of like, I, I want to be with that God you're Wonderful. talking about. Yeah. And then finally fictional this is a bit obscure okay i am a very big fan of fantasy fiction so i read quite a lot of fantasy fiction and there's a very if you're into fantasy fiction a very famous series called the wheel of time which was written it started out by a guy called robert jordan and then he died fancy dying partway through writing mm -hmm. your huge opus and so brandon sanderson who's another famous uh fantasy writer took over um, but Jordan created a character called Egwene. She is a, a, a young girl at the start of the series. She's probably about 14. Mm. And she's, a, she's the daughter of, an in, of innkeepers. And she lives in a little village. By the end of the series, she is the most powerful woman in the whole world. Mm. 
does amazing things. She doesn't do them on her own, by the way. She she's got other people around her. Mm. But she ha- she just by sheer Jordan said that he wrote the stories because he wanted to explore what happens when people came by immense power mm. without really quite knowing why it was them mm. and how they got it and what they what they were meant to do with it. And mm. I love her journey. I mean, there's other characters who are fascinating, but her journey uh, as a woman through that mm. is very interesting. So I'd like to have a long conversation with Egwene as we walk around my nice flat place that we're walking around, uh, all about being a woman and having power and how mm. to use that well. That's an amazing lineup. Now I have to come too. You'd be very welcome. Okay, so every guest here on the Altering Podcast answers the same four questions. So here's the first one for you, Lyndall. How do you face change? I'm tempted to say I don't face change particularly well in mm. the sense that I'm not, just by personality, I'm not somebody who loves change. I'm not somebody who gets particularly bored or gets itchy feet or anything like that. But change is inevitable. And I do think as someone who's into prayer, I do recognise that change. I I do want to see change, actually. I don't always enjoy it, but I do want to see change. How do I face it? Do you know what? For me, this has become more and more important over the last, I guess, few years Mm. is the simple truth that God is always creating new things. So I don't know about you, but I think somewhere in my head when I was growing up, I got this idea that basically everything that exists or ever will exist has kind of already been made and created and it's all there. And basically all life is, is a kind of a rearranging of things. Mm. And that makes it hard to believe in the impossible because Mm. actually, uh, you know, if there's an, if you're praying for someone who's sick or, you know, not well or whatever, and, and the idea that something needs something miraculous needs to happen that's really difficult if you don't if you believe that everything basically all that can ever happen in life is it can be rearranged and I just remember over the last few years God getting my attention with I am creator I am Mm. always creating I am always making things new I didn't stop creating didn't do it all at once and then just kind of right park that a lot that's all done Mm. and then let's see what they make of that then I am always making things new and the verses in the Bible that say that really you know when you do that thing which verse leaps off the page at you those Mm. verses always leap off the page at me and you know even scientifically we live in a universe which is ever expanding so even scientifically we know that new things are being made all the time and that for me is hopeful because I look ahead of me and I say I'm not completely sure what this change is going to mean I'm not completely sure if I like it I'm not completely sure um, how I'm going to cope with this even in certain situations but I do know that God is going to make new things. New things are going to come out of nothing mm. because of this change. And that helps me to be positive. Now, we don't often on this podcast talk about where we are, what time it is, because it allows us to move episodes around and things not to age. But I don't think we can do that in this one because we're, we're sitting here. It's it's the year 2020. I mean, I've just sounded like I got, I've gone very Star Trek, haven't I? It was the year 2020. <laughs> it's 2020. Captain's log. I know, I really have, haven't I? Don't. <laughs> It's the end of May and uh, that means for anyone who is listening either in this moment or I would say for a very long time to come, you will know that we are right in the middle of a global pandemic and we are currently still in a lockdown uh, here in the UK. And so that means that the world has changed dramatically. So how does that sense of God being a God who changes and makes things from you, how does that speak to a moment like right now for you? 
I think it speaks to me about the church and it's one of the things I speak to me about all sorts of things, but let's go with the church for the moment because it's one of the things that I'm most passionate about at the moment, Matt. If you're anything like me, I've been praying for change in the church for decades. I have literally been praying that we would somehow get out of the rut that we're in, mm. uh, lovely though that rut often is, to because I couldn't see, I've got quite a mathematical brain and I have not been able to see how just by continuing to do what we do, we are ever going to connect with the vast majority of the world out there. I think that's something a lot of us feel about church and it's no offence to what we already do. What we do is lovely and precious and important and so on and so forth. But it's just, I couldn't see a trajectory where what we've been doing would go beyond just where we already are. Mm. It's like I've been saying to God, God, you need, we need to change. We need to, but I think our capacity to change ourselves as human beings is limited mm. because we can only do what we know. We can, we can at some, some level only carry on going up that same spiral staircase. Yeah. Sometimes God just picks up your whole spiral staircase and sticks it down somewhere completely different. Mm. And that's a thing that only God can do or that great. And this might bring us on to partly the next question, mm. but only great suffering or difficulty can mm. do. And when things go really wrong and get really difficult, suddenly our spiral staircase is plonked down in a different place mm. and suddenly we are doing our growing and our changing in a whole different situation and and new things become possible god uses that shift and that that seismic movement to create new things in us and around us and you know i am there are things happening around me now both in ter- terms of church and in terms of my local community where i live even the street where i live there are things that are happening that three months ago would simply not have happened. Mm. It, they they weren't on the horizon. God is making new things. Last week, I was part of a Zoom series that, uh, that an organization called Urban Life were putting on, and they had the brilliant Luke Bretherton on there, the theologian who oh, works yeah. at, I think, Duke yeah. University now. But, but uh, Luke Bretherton is brilliant, and he was asked what, what he saw as signs of hope. And one of his that really grabbed me was this. What had seemed unimaginable has become possible. Yes. I reflected back on what Luke said, and my reflection back was, it feels like this moment has answered questions we weren't allowed to ask. Oh, that's very interesting. And I would I would really agree with that. I feel as though some taboos have been flung out of some cupboards yeah. somewhere along the line. I would really, really, really agree with that. Yes. Lyndall, I guess the challenge of those words is that for everyone right now who finds themselves experiencing any sort of joy or goodness or opportunity in this moment, it is set against the backdrop of immense human suffering. And so I guess it does lead us really nicely into the next question, because I think a lot of people are experiencing this, actually. Anyone I know who is going hey, this has been tough, but you know what? I've actually discovered this about myself or or this has happened or we've reconnected. That is very mm. hard to celebrate because every day we are seeing uh, a death toll number that gets a little bit higher. And on a global sense, those numbers are, are almost beyond our imagination. So yes. how do we balance that sense of there is an acceleration of change and opportunity for what can be now and what comes next, but against this backdrop of immense suffering? I think partly we balance it by being, if and this will sound really odd, but being grateful for what we're in. I'm grateful for one particular. I am not grateful for any soul, you know, any soul that suffers or any mm. person who dies or anything like that. But I'm grateful that I'm no longer able to anaesthetize myself to it quite as well as I used to be. And I, I don't know about you, but oh. I find that 
living the life I live, it's particularly easy to ignore suffering I do think we've got to embrace this fact that we're being woken up to the realities Mm. of suffering and now for a lot of us we we have suffering in our own lives and and we're very well aware of that we don't need to be woken up to suffering because we've got plenty in our own lives and that's absolutely true but I I know for me I'm grateful for a greater awareness I think but the other thing I'm grateful for Matt is is that I I'm not we are so much particularly where prayer is concerned we are often so much about a kind of a success and a failure narrative so almost um we pray and good things happen and that's a success mm. we pray and good things don't happen or even bad things happen and we feel like that's some kind of failure mm. um and then there are questions about did i pray hard enough did i say the right words mm. is that was there some kind of magic formula i missed now we might say we don't think those things but they're really easy to think and yes. i think where prayer is concerned we we get into that now when you're in a situation of real suffering you those the maths don't work anymore do they mm. you know i i i've prayed for several people with coronavirus and and uh, one of them has died and a lot of them haven't does mm. does that mean i prayed better it was my, were my prayers better for some of them actually do you know what it does it pushes you right off of that it says that that doesn't make any sense god cannot be a good god cannot be the kind of god who marks my prayers uh, for quality mm. uh, or quantity and acts accordingly in a time of suffering, you have to come back to the truth what, that what prayer is, is it is consciously connecting to the presence of the divine in our world. And whether you are a nurse doing that as you hold the hand of somebody who's dying and who does not get miraculously healed, mm. whether you're a relative praying for a, a relative or friend who, you know, who has who, who is ill, whether you are somebody praying for, uh, you know, the, the people that live down your road, whether you're praying for your church actually it is the connecting to the divine that we do in prayer it's connecting Mm. to god consciously that somehow has an impact but we don't get to measure that by successes and failures Mm. that's kind of really what i'm carrying at the moment it's presence not results and the presence of god wants to impact the world is desperate is Mm. you know god is at work in the world Mm. and when we pray we somehow um and I've never found the right word for this, but we somehow activate that presence. We mm. connect that presence and mm. we never, ever pray uh, and nothing happens. God is always doing something. It might just not be the success thing that we want God to do. Yeah. And I so wish we taught kids much more about prayer, not as an asking God for things, but a prayer as in this is this is you and me consciously saying God is right here right now. We're praying not to ask for something necessarily, but we're praying because it's an acknowledgement that God is right here in this room with us. God is all around us. Because if we do that, we we equip kids Mm. to know as adults that in the difficult times, that's what prayer does. Prayer brings to me the reality of God's presence rather than prayer tells me prayer is my way of asking God to do something which God may or may not then do. I wanted to read to you a quote from Prayer in the Making because I told you I'd read it. Um, but you say this, uh, which I think really speaks to this this particular question. You say, when you bring your grief to God, you're not bothering him. You are honoring him. When you pour out the pain in your heart, it isn't self-indulgence. It's worship. I guess one of the challenges of prayer in suffering is that it can start to feel quite self-indulgent. That if all we're doing is bringing God our aches and pains, our woes, our our trials, then that does start to feel self-indulgent. In fact, you know, let's call a spade a spade. It can sometimes feel that way when we're listening to someone pray that prayer. You have to ask yourself, I think, 
in what kind of relationship would you feel like you couldn't or shouldn't be talking about that stuff because it would be too me, me, me? What kind of relationship do we have with God if we feel that it's not appropriate to be talking about me? And I know people, I talk to people who say, oh, I don't really pray about my stuff because actually, you know, God, there are more important things. I'm like, what kind of relationship is that with God, apart from one that is frankly more arm's length than God ever wants it to be? There is a delight in God that we mm. pour out the truth of our heart. I am. Um, I was uh, doing a year abroad during my uni time and I had a, a, a mentor during that year and she simply got us to do the exercise of imagining uh, should sit sit on a sofa in your mind's eye sit on a sofa it's a lounge you know like like a living room so mm. a couple of sofas sit sit down on a sofa and she said, then just imagine god the father coming into that room where does he sit mm. that single exercise made a huge difference to me because where he sits depends on how you honestly view your relationship mm. um so does he sit opposite looking at you interestedly but distant mm. does he does he keep looking at the door does he keep looking out the window does he come and sit next to you and if he does does that feel safe or does it not feel safe that is a that's an exercise you can do that helps to reveal what is the what is the subconscious relationship with god out of which you're operating you might know all the right christian answers mm. but actually we all operate subconsciously out of a particular perception of god connect Absolutely. type of relationship with god connection with god uh, trying to discover that is one of the most helpful things you can do for your mm. prayer life I mean, I'm sitting here thinking at the minute going, don't start to answer it, Matt, because you'll completely lose your train of thought. But that is, <laughs> that is what I'm going to do, because that's interesting. And that's I, and the one I, you can take away. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. And one that I think people will do. I think I would really encourage people to do that because that how we imagine that changes everything, doesn't it? That's, yeah, really helpful. OK, it's time to face another one of your choices. So when it comes to our walk, if you want to stick the earphones on, what's on your playlist? Late 80s music and Ooh. lots of power ballads. Do love a power ballad okay. myself. And I'm, they say that the music you listen to as a teenager is the music that you have the most profound emotional connection with, regardless of whether that Ooh. music is good quality or bad quality. Now, okay. I was a teenager in the late 80s when um, music was largely Stock Aitken and Waterman yeah. and really, really, really tinny pop hits. Yeah. And yet you'd be surprised what an emotional connection I have <laughs> with those songs just because of the age I was. Yeah. That, so some might pity me for saying that yeah. that is my music. That's my life music, but I love it. So let's get back to the questions. The third one is this. How do we receive joy? This has been a big question for me over the last couple of months, right? Because when when the lockdown that we're in at the moment that started at the kind of the the pretty much the outbreak of the pandemic the the lockdown we're in at the moment that started and i remember waking up on the first day and thinking oh my word this is amazing because i've always said that if you could give me a gift of any kind the best gift you could give me would be to cancel my diary mm. for, for a couple of months. And I, I even had tried to have a sabbatical a couple of years ago, but I turned out to be terrible at cancelling my own diary. So uh, this has done a much better job of giving me a sabbatical mm. than that did at some level. So I have and I have been wrestling with myself and thinking, what is it about the way that I normally live that is frustrating me and that is not joyful that is I'm not going to say joyless because that makes it sound like it's awful but mm. actually the way I, I realize the way I've been living my life it's been more draining than joy giving 
And I do not mean for a moment that my life should be joyful as in everything should go fine. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't believe joy is found in things going well. Yep. What I believe joy is, is it's a place of balance and resonance. I'm talking to you next to my piano and uh, my, my husband's taken the front off the piano. I think he might be trying to tune it. Um, and uh, so there are these strings next to me that are right in tension. Mm. And because they're in tension, they play the right note. And for me, when my life is in balance, um, tensed by the right things, I play the right note and that note and that is joyful. You know Mm. that feeling when you know this, when you do something and it zings in your Mm. blood because it's so what you're made for and Mm. what you love doing. And so I've been looking at what is it in my life that that takes me away from that? Mm. What is it that overstretches me? And often it is an overstretch. I'm Mm. too stretched. I'm too pulled in too many different directions. And I'm, I'm, you ping me and I kind of go, ping, and it's yeah. not particularly pretty. Um, or uh, I go to a place where I can't be bothered with anything. And I go to a kind of a lassitude mm. and, a, and an apatheticness. And then you, you, you ping me and I kind of go plonk. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's something for me, joy is that right, is that kind of appropriate tension. And for me, it's been to do with exploring the tension between my preferences and my values. So really briefly, what that means for me is I have preferences for certain things. I'm a profound introvert. So lockdown is heaven in my Mm. world because I don't have to see anyone or go anywhere or Mm. anything. That totally suits me. However, I've been wrestling with myself a little bit over it because actually those are not my values. Mm. My preferences, my preference would be to be a hermit, live in a cave and never see anybody. Mm. But that's not my value. Mm. My value is community and relationship and a belief that we are better as a human race when we function together. We are certainly better as a church when we connect Mm. more deeply with each other. So what does it look like for me to be profoundly introverted, but also to be somebody who has a value of community and connection? And at the moment, I am trying to, turn the the kind of the tuning knob at each end of the, at the end of that string to get that balance right so that when I go back into normal life whatever that's going to be in the future um so that when I go back to life as it more normally is shall we say mm. um I will be in balance with my preferences so the things that are very naturally me to do with being introverted and having space lots of space and time for myself mm. but also being connected deeply such that I honor my value of community that's a maybe an odd answer to the question about joy, but joy for me is that appropriately tensed, the appropriately tensioned mm. string that makes me sing the note I was made to sing. That's really fascinating. Yeah, really, really interesting. And, and a really interesting way to think about the idea of joy and how we kind of receive it and experience it, that sense of being in that that moment where you kind of zing or where, where your kind of heart sings. That's, yeah. that's fascinating. Yeah. You've got one more question and one more choice. So the final right. choice for the walk is this. What's in the snack bag? Peanuts mm-hmm. and chocolate. Not together. Okay. Do not give me peanut M&Ms. Do not give me peanut butter and chocolate spread. Uh, uh, just peanuts, oh. okay? They have to actually just be peanuts. Dry roasted is fine. I am a peanut fiend. I love them. Okay. I'm about as far from being allergic to peanuts as it's possible <laughs> to be in life. I'm possibly slightly addicted to peanuts. My favourite lunch is peanuts and carrots, actually. That is a taste Ooh. combo right there. Peanut, peanuts and a carrot. Try it someday. But no trek is going to be complete without chocolate. Let's face it. I'm sure that is an answer you've been given many times. And I am denied about whether to be entirely creative and different. And then I decided, no, what makes me zing, as you 
put it is yeah. the chocolate. It's going to be the chocolate is going to bring me the joy right there. I'm I'm happy with this. I mean, for me, I would bring them together. So, I mean, I'm always thinking about the snack bag because I'm one of those people who would forget to bring one. So I like this question because it, <laughs> what am I, what am I stealing essentially in love? Um, but I like the idea of, yeah, peanuts. I mean, I would put them together. Peanut M&M is good for me. You know, a kind of a bar. I'll take one of those. Partly also though, because I like the savory and the sweet. Yes. Not, I like them both. So I'd have peanuts first. Oh, that's the thing about me. I can't go backwards. So I couldn't eat the chocolate first and then the peanuts. So all the peanuts would have to go first and then I'd eat the chocolate. But I like doing both oh, okay. in the right order. Yeah. But a good snack bag. I am happy with it. I mean, I know you say, good. you know, everyone probably brings chocolate. I mean, the first few episodes... I mean, people were like, seemed to be going on some sort of professional hike. They were bringing all sorts of things that I wasn't going anywhere near. So thankfully, <laughs> I like it when people say things I can eat. So, you know, even yeah, hypothetically, that's... I don't want to go hungry. And a flask of tea. I actually don't like tea out of a flask. So Ooh. if we could install a kiosk where yeah. I can buy a tea somewhere <laughs> on my flat walk, it's going to be like around a lake or something. It's going to be a flat walk. Let's, let's, let's be completely kiosk. honest. We're walking around a shopping center at this stage. <laughs> Nice flat yeah. surface, nice flat surface and enough places to stop. You've, you've sussed me entirely with a water feature in yeah. the middle, just yeah. for a little bit yeah. of nature. Just for something. Yeah. That's it, that's it. Okay, the final question, yeah. now that we've realised we're walking around the local mall. Uh, the final question, how do we mature in service? Well, partly I, I kind of struggled to differentiate this from the last one because mm. i do actually think joy and service are key and it's one of the things i love about the four gospel questions is that they happen in this order and i appreciate what alexander john Chai has done for this because actually we so often think service first and then joy is what we do with what we've got left over you know joy is mm. oh i'll i don't know i'll sit down and watch my favorite tv show for half an hour mm. that is not joy that is mm. relaxation and it might be joyful but it is not joy mm. and so for me the whole thing has been joy precedes service mm. not in the you see immediately as i said i can hear all the kind of well what, what you're saying is we basically have to like we it's all about making ourselves happy before we care about other people i don't mean that at all i just mean that service for me happens when i strike that note that i was talking about when the work I do when the things I put my hand to in terms of my service draw from me that note that is so completely me, that is me in balance, me in tension in all the right ways, mm. me properly uh, kind of extended between my preferences and my values. Then when I do something for you out of service, it is going to have a greater quality than what I do for you out of my overstretchedness or my understretchedness, if that makes sense. So for me, they're deeply connected. But the other thing I would say, and it goes for both of them, but I haven't said it yet, is the whole thing of being yourself. And I'm, I'm mm. famous for this, in particularly in prayer teaching. It's the whole kind of prayer and personality thing. I'm famous for the whole, you know, actually don't try and pray like somebody you're not. Yeah. Don't try and serve like somebody you're not. It's who am I? Who am I made to be? How do I function? Mm. What what do I what am I naturally passionate about? And service needs to locate itself, uh, if at all possible, mm. in who I am. Mm. Now, obviously, there are things I have to do that I don't, you know, sit, talking to you on a podcast is like, this is my this is my heaven. I'm absolutely there for this. There are other You're the first to person do, to say that. But that's now my... become the advert. That's now the advert for this podcast. <laughs> so you, are, you can when, when you trail the next series, yeah. just have me saying those yeah, yeah, few yeah. words. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, there are other things I do in my job that I don't enjoy so much. Yeah. And so it's not about enjoying everything that yeah. we do for service, but it is about really being careful to say, am I, even if I'm doing something I don't enjoy, 
am I doing it as much as possible as me? Mm. Am I being myself in it? So even if I find it difficult, how can I be as true to myself in the doing of it as I possibly can? It strikes me that so much of what you bring to this topic of prayer, this teaching of prayer, is that sense of it isn't about copying it isn't about emulating it isn't about going well i better just do this it's about understanding that our prayer flows from us it's who we are like it's it it has to come from that place someone said to me recently jesus doesn't want your light to shrink he wants your light to shine and it's a hugely important (laughs) truth which is that actually when we find ourselves doing things that make us shrink and that's like you say i think it's really important that doesn't mean we just do what we want this isn't some sense of only do what you like only do what you're in this is about a sense of when something makes your very light shrink and diminish then we're never going to find joy there we have to find out what brings us joy and then use that to let our light shine i think when what you do is stuff that you feel you should do and it's stuff others expect of you, but actually you're not bringing anything of yourself to that. You're just getting a job done. Hmm. That is, it's profoundly damaging. And, and it, it feels a bit like, you know, I was thinking of that Jesus said you wouldn't keep your light under a bucket. Hmm. I don't know, but I mean, you know, bushel, but bucket is the word hmm. in the modern translations. I, I quite often envisage in my mind's eye a bucket with some really flashy, fancy fairy lights mm. around it. And I'm like, I look at, I think they're really great, but they're not the light. That's yeah. not the light that's under that bucket. Yeah. The light that's under that bucket looks different to that. So have we got buckets over our heads, but we've decorated them with nice fairy lights to make us look like we think we should look or do what we think we should do. That's somehow. really important because actually, again, the challenge can sometimes be in going, but I'm doing this thing and it's having this impact and it's getting to this point and people are listening and all those things. Mm. And so we go, mm. so clearly my light's shining, even though we know deep down it's making our light diminish. But like, that's a great analogy yeah. because actually what that yeah. can be is a bucket covered in fairy lights when underneath that Absolutely. is this light that wants to burst forth that brings you yeah. to life. But instead, we do this thing that dulls us. But yeah, we stick a few fairy lights on it and, you know, hope that no one notices or hope that but most importantly, <laughs> hope that we don't notice usually. Yeah, I was going to say. And, and find me a, a truly successful person who has, had, who has not had to learn that your light shining is more important than you being successful and impressive to other people. That is, you know, you talk to celebrities you listen to celebrities talk who've been very successful over the years and they will all say ultimately that lot is that is so much you know kind of twaddle when it comes down to who I really am and if I believe my own publicity if I get if I'm impressed by my own fairy lights eventually uh I end up losing I'll I end up risking going out under my bucket you know my light fades and dies and as you say shrinks yeah that is not healthy so even if it means looking less impressive to the world out there my light shining is more important than all the things all the fairy lights of the things i think i should be doing yeah how important for you then in your maturing has been about getting the right people around you very important i think for two two reasons one is friendships where people can I'm I'm a highly self-critical person, so I don't particularly mm. need friends to say, Lyndall, I think you got that wrong. Because yeah. if they say it, I'm already I've already thought it yeah. 50 times before I before they even got up that morning, you know. So yeah. but what I do need is people to say to me, Lyndall, it's okay yeah. to not be able to do that, or it's okay to have got that wrong, or it's okay to but I need people that that speak to me in terms of 
the reassurances of you are you and that's fine. Yeah. You don't need to be more than you are. The other thing is community as in a group of people. And one of the things I have and belong to is a prayer community. Um, and uh, that prayer community uh, is is we are quite a close knit bunch of people now after many years mm. of walking together. And that community, I I have a, a sort of a leadership role within it. But actually, I lead it out of a really different place to where I how I lead other things that I do, if mm. that makes sense. And it that's really important to me because I would say in that situation, that's where my leadership and my being me-ness come together most mm. profoundly. Every other situation I lead in, I I I try not to, but I can switch, I can switch into whatever mode I need to yeah. be in. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But that community, I try really hard. They would notice, they would think it was weird if I mm. suddenly brought out some version of me that I thought was impressive and right for the moment, but yeah. that was not really me. Yeah. And that's good. That's good for me. Uh, one more thing on, on maturing and service, I guess. So for you, you've been around prayer and prayer as a 24-7 kind of global movement and in the Salvation Army specifically. How have you seen us mature in our service over this past 20 years? What are the, the things that you've seen us grow in? I think I would say I've seen people grow in how they have allowed prayer to impact their life at every level. So mm. one of the things we learned really quickly after the year of prayer that we did almost 20 years ago was there was a hunger for prayer. And, and we were like, oh, this is fantastic. And people are hungry for prayer. That's great. That's what we wanted. That was That's fantastic. Then a hunger for prayer meant they were praying. And that also meant they were, if you like, digging down into the soil of their own lives, mm. their hearts. Stuff was coming up, which was to do with often great pain and suffering, mm. trauma from the past, all sorts of things. And the truth is, if you really do get into prayer, that will happen. Mm. It's meant to happen. It's it's right. It's 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 ultimately prayer is only one of the many things that we're given in the journey of salvation and the yeah. journey of salvation sanctification, to use a word that's popular in the Salvation Army, uh, is the journey of wholeness. Mm. That's that's what that means. Shalom, sozo means wholeness. So the more we go along that road, it's absolutely right that there should be healing. There should mm. be healing for things of the past. There should be healing for struggles in the present, so on and so forth. Mm. There should be a a growing wholeness and and seeing people engaging with prayer and not being afraid of what that did in them of what god did in them and what god changed and healed and restored and challenged in them as a result and that might sound like an odd answer but ultimately i believe that when we become more whole as individuals and as a as a body uh, as a church mm. we we are the story of what god is doing in the world and we mm. tell that story better we do not we tell that story partly mm. by helping the homeless and feeding the hungry and uh, you know rescuing people in social need and so on mm. but we tell that story far more fully by becoming more whole and healed ourselves i love that idea that actually as we become more whole then actually our service becomes more whole with it yes yeah. Linda, I want to say thank you for your time. Um, I want to say thanks for, for coming on and chatting to me and to hear those questions go through um, your particular journey and story and what you've brought to the Salvation Army over the past 20 years has been, been really, really useful. So thank you so much for giving your time today. We really appreciate it. My great pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. I'll be back next time with another guest who'll be facing the same four choices, answering the same four questions and sharing their wisdom learned along the way on the All Terrain podcast.